world. Cast first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers for the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com right now. Use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. Today's episode is a very special one. We are once again joined by my friend and yours, the Athletics, Jason Quick. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing well, Michael. Well, good. Thanks for joining us. We're, we are <laughs> happy and elated to have you on the program yet again. Um, yeah. Sorry if I'm a little uh, lethargic today. I'm uh, being dominated by a story, so... Uh, We'll, we'll we'll get you out of here quick so you can get back to story crafting and, and if <laughs> and if you get a call from a source, um, we just ask that you take that call live on air and do the do the interview <laughs> here, <laughs> so we can see behind the we wanted to peek behind the curtain. How does the sausage get made? How does uh, how does Jason Quick get us so close to these people? What what's that interview technique? <laughs> just kidding. I've seen it in real life. It's a lot of it's a lot of you know just uh, sidling. Um, <laughs> Flipping over the notebook, so you know yeah. that's how you know it's serious. You flip to another page in the notebook to like let that interviewee know that you're serious. <laughs> no, I've got a. Uh, I'm working on a Norman Powell story. Oh that, yeah, I did um, see you tweet that out. Yeah, I've done over over ten hours of interviewing for it, and um, which is a lot if people don't. way too many. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've talked to both his sisters, his mom, his best friend. Uh, and I think it, it can be special. I mean, I, I cried during the interviews. I laughed my head off. Um, and I was just fascinated. Uh, so I, I really hope people are able to read it um, once I get it out of my head. But it's it's really, for those who don't, aren't familiar with writing like it's really daunting when you have great material mm-hmm. when you sit there with an empty screen and you have to craft it and formulate all these information you have and make it make sense and it's uh it's kicking my butt right now so <laughs> <laughs> well, well we'll talk about anything but norman powell's uh, yeah. ascension okay you know we'll, we'll steer away from norman powell so you can clear your head a little bit yeah um, I think it's like the the old adage is like having written is fun, but writing is torture. I think that's what you're, yes. that's that's what you're going through right now. You will exactly. when you when you get rid of this Norman Powell story when it's out of your head onto the screen and onto the the website. You'll say, "Hey, I'm I'm happy with this," or "I'm you know I'm I'm thankful that I got to tell the story." But the journey from this moment there is uh, can be a little agonizing. Yes, it's I, uh, it, you 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 summed it up perfectly. It's like writing is torture but uh, the process and the the aftermath is is really rewarding and uh, i was really really thankful you know half of this stuff is like relies on the player and their family and stuff opening up and uh, i was really lucky to have uh, really great subjects here to deal with yeah and i think just like for for listeners like even in in this this era of, of where we're at in sort of the way the media landscape works. It's not like you can go, uh, Jason's never met Norm face to face. Like he's never been in the same room as him. So we can't be like, Hey, you have to trust me. 
um, yeah. in a way that like you could in the past. This is someone trusting Jason. Um, obviously, who has a great track record of doing things like this, but tr trusting someone he doesn't know and say, yeah, you can contact my family and tell my story. Um, so there's there's already a lot of trust been placed in a way that um, is difficult to uh, is difficult to get in sort of um, even in normal circumstances. Yeah. So I, I hope it. I hope I can piece it together. Uh, I believe in but, you, Jay. I've. I mean, I always believe in you, but I specifically <laughs> believe in you on this one. Yeah, let's hope. All right. Well, I don't want to. Let's not jinx it anymore. Let's. Um, yeah. There's, there's some. There's some Blazers news in the world, even though it's sort of Blazers adjacent news. Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, relatively suddenly. I mean, not even relatively suddenly. Suddenly announced his retirement on Thursday. Uh, what did you make of Lamarcus deciding to call it quits in the, in the timing and the manner that he did, Jason? Oh, I. I mean, I think everyone understands it. Uh, yeah. You know, that's a scary thing. Uh, with his heart and he's he's dealt with this for you know what 15 years now yeah since the end of the 2007 season spring of 2007 I think is when it first happened so it's been a yeah. while yeah and I you know I remember uh, when he first had it as a rookie and that was very scary for him and you know he's had a couple of incidents since then mm -hmm. and so I, I think this one I mean, he knows his body and I think he knows how he felt. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me retired. I don't, I don't think he has really anything to prove. Uh, and like I wrote uh, yesterday, I've really noticed with LaMarcus the last couple times I've interacted with him, he, he's really at peace. I, I it, it was just uh, palpable for me. And, and watching him talking to him and you, you can just feel it is at peace with himself and at peace with his life so i don't feel like he felt any anxiety or pressure to win a championship or to keep playing or to chase anything and once you know your heart's a pretty big deal <laughs> yeah so uh but it was definitely shocking i mean uh that's one of those where, you know, you open Twitter and you see it and you're just like, whoa. Yeah. Um, so kind of sad, uh, you know, and like many people have said, I think it's hard for players when they don't go out on their own terms. Totally. And, and that's probably the biggest struggle for him right now. But again, I don't think he has many regrets in his career. Yeah, the weird thing about like professional athletes is like Lamarcus is old by basketball standards, but in like normal human life where you're going to mm -hmm. need, um, need your physical body to do stuff, he's a young man, or you know, at least like certainly not an old man by any means. Like he's so it's um, you know the sort of physical decisions you have to make basketball wise is, is just like knowing that you're 35 years old and or whatever it is, 37 years old, and like still have a lot of living and, and parenting and all those things ahead of you. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it changes the timeline a little bit. Uh, you wrote about this a little bit yesterday in the athletic, if listeners don't subscribe to the athletic, you're doing it wrong. You should, you should pay money to read Jason's work. He's been covering the team, uh, better and longer than anyone else. Uh, you wrote about LaMarcus's legacy. Uh, what in your eyes is his trailblazers legacy? Well, I kind of framed it uh, in my article that I think what people are going to remember most about LaMarcus is the hurt and the pain, the, the hurt that he felt 
from the organization and, and kind of this overriding that he overriding feeling that he was underappreciated. And then also the hurt that he kind of inflicted on the franchise when he left in free agency in 2015. I think those are the two things that kind of define his time here. I mean, obviously he was a, an exceptional basketball player. Uh, one of the best to ever put on the Blazers uniform. But I think the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, he jolted Portland or he didn't get a fair shake because he was in the shadows of Brandon Roy or in the shadows of Damian Lillard. Uh, And so, you know, that part is unfortunate, but it's real. That's just the way it was when Marcus was here. But I really grew to appreciate and like LaMarcus. I, I, I think he's a complicated person. Uh, he's got a lot of things. He's kind of private. Very, very um, private is what I was going to say. Yeah. And, but I really grew to respect him. Um, and I, I really enjoyed him. I rooted for him. I wanted him to come back to Portland and finish his career. I thought it would be really fitting. Um, but there's also there's also a uh, a difficult side to Lamarcus. He can be petty. He can be moody. He can hold grudges, and uh, that sometimes has has hurt him and tainted his experiences with teams and with people. But overall, I think he ended up growing a lot in his later years, and kind of determining what's important and i think he became a better communicator as well with people because i think he found that a lot of his uh stresses in life or bad periods and bad relationships for instance like with with brandon and with damien were both rooted around poor communication uh they didn't get things out in the open and i think a lot of stuff could have been avoided um so uh i i think he learned that later in his later in his life and he became better at uh kind of meeting those things head on yeah i wonder if um you know because his first year in san antonio it sort of famously ended it was a little bit rocky and he had this moment uh after Mm -hmm. that first year that meeting with pop that was basically like do you want me to trade you? Like, do you want, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what do you think? Um, And I think that somewhere in that, somewhere in that sort of one or two year window. And I think maybe even that sort of recollection with this is the thing I asked for. And now they're going to trade me because it doesn't work allowed him to mature in a way to be like, have some more perspective and, and, and just like sort of figure out, like you said, like what's important to him and, and, and maybe even just to be a little bit more open as a human that allowed, um, allowed him to flourish. Cause I mean, he was, awesome yeah and also also i think going to san antonio allowed him to appreciate portland more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think he i think he just having that perspective of being in a different organization and how they do things and operate i think he gained an appreciation for how he was treated in portland uh, how the offense went through him how the the team treated him Uh, they did a lot of things for him you know, they went out of their way a totally. lot for him. They gave him so it. many pieces of the floor, Jason. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> they gave him like a million pieces. They gave him like a million yeah. pieces of the floor his final year in Portland. Yeah, you mean the, the little awards and stuff. Yeah, they gave him. Yeah. So, that was my first year on the beat. Was fourteen plaques, <laughs> and yeah. they gave Lamarcus like six plaques. And I, I didn't have a great perspective on it at the time. Like I knew what was going on, but I didn't realize how goofy it was until like a few years later. And I was like, okay, well, they're really doing it for him. <laughs> they're they're really yeah. trying to show him this is how this is what love looks like in this sort of like public player to franchise setting. Yeah. So you know. I think he realized that after he left. And sure. I th- so I think he had a better appreciation for his time in Portland um, by the time that, that he was in the throes of San Antonio time. Yeah. There's this weird thing. And maybe I'm just, it's like, I just read too many tweets, you know, and now I'm like, totally, I'm I just like in a world that doesn't exist, but there seems to be a strange debate over LaMarcus's legacy. And to me, he's so clearly one of the four best players in franchise history. I, I don't, I don't quite understand it. Um, I don't four I, best. Yeah, him, but not four. He's ahead on of Terry my Porter. He's ahead of on for me. He's on the Rushmore ahead of Terry Porter and ahead of of Mo Luke. Um, I I I think you can make a case for Terry Porter as you may be doing right now. But if if the threshold is like four time All Star, three time All NBA, while you're a member of the Blazers, um, the the list is the list includes Damian Lillard. And Clyde Drexler and LaMarcus Aldridge. Those are the three names. And I'm putting Walton on the list because um, if longevity had allowed for it, he would certainly have racked up a lot more uh, personal awards and things like that. Um, I know that end of the season awards and all-star games aren't everything, but to me, like he's just, um, you know, I guess, I guess like at worst, he's the, he's one of the five best players in the history of the, of the league or a history of the, of the, trailblazers franchise it, um i don't under, yes. i don't quite understand the debate about where his place is among among all-time greats yeah i i i, I would put him at five sure um, and you know he did it for a long time uh and he carried this team at, at for stretches you know um uh, and i i still think his 2014 playoff series against Houston was one of the most remarkable stretches of play uh, this franchise has seen. I mean, those performances in game one and game two at Houston were remarkable. I remember just being in awe of him. Game two is one of the great individual performances you've ever seen because he just whooped their ass in game one. Like they knew what was coming and he still gave them 40 the next night. Um, That was, that was, uh, yeah, I mean that that those games will always stand out to me as just like truly spectacular, and they have such a great bearing on sort of the Damian Lillard legacy. If Lamarcus doesn't go off in one Absolutely. and two, there is no game six, and the sort of legend yeah. of Lillard doesn't exist without Lamarcus. Like all of these things are intertwined, right? And you know, as I wrote, like, yeah, Dame hit the shot to win game six, but Lamarcus had thirty and thirteen in that game. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, but yeah, the, the game one and game two, the back-to-back 40 point, you know, 46 and 43, I think it was, they weren't just, it wasn't just the volume of scoring. It was how he scored and when he scored. Those games, I mean, I think game one was overtime and the, and the second one was tooth and nail right down to the, to right. the buzzer. They were just huge, huge, massive buckets that he was scoring. You know, a packed Toyota Center in Houston. Uh, you know, Houston was a higher seed. There, it was a crazy environment. 
and he cut through all that and just carried the Blazers. And it, it was really something. And, you know, at that time, he had not been a great playoff performer. Right, right, right. Uh, and he really kind of answered, answered the call. Yeah, I think me and you have talked about this. Like, it maybe took him, you know, it took some time for both of us to appreciate how good he was and how special sort of the Damon LaMarcus teams were. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the Blazers haven't had a second All-Star since then. Um, yeah. It's like, you, you once you step away, you're like, oh, you know what? Those teams, he was so good and those teams were so good. It, um, I've come to appreciate him more with, you know, um, the sort of distance his career has, has, has gone from Portland. No question. And you're right. You, you really, I think that's what made it so frustrating in 2015 when he left was you could see how good Damon and LA could be together. Yeah. I mean, their pick and roll combo, just the, the in out game, it, they could have been special and it's so hard for a small market team to get two all-stars. Yep. Uh, on a roster and and the Blazers had it, but they just couldn't hold on to it. And they, that's what's so frustrating. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I think if there is a time, there is a real, like, it's not a pie in the sky thing to say, like, I wish, you know, or you were saying like that it would have been nice if he returned or it would have sort of like put a nice bow on the legacy mm-hmm. for him to return. Like he openly talked about it with you. He openly talked about it with Mark Stein. Like Portland was a place he he strongly considered. And if his career had continued, I think very realistic that there would have been this reunion of sorts. Um, or at least he would have been interested. In I don't know if I'm going to say like outright that would have happened, but because there's like more forces at, at work here than just Lamarcus's wishes. But, but like I think, um, I think there was. I think that there's some there's some real truth to him sort of wanting to 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 mend the fence. Um, and it's and it's a bummer that his um, the situation didn't allow for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I I think those just the overall you have to look at his legacy as, as being a positive, even though with all the, the, the hurt and the pain and the frustration, you know, it, it was a great run that he had. And it was amazing for me just to see him grow up. I remember being in New York when he was drafted and he was uh, so young and skinny and I remember him asking, is number 12 available? And I'm like, yeah, nobody has number 12. And he was giddy that he was going to be able to wear <laughs> number 12 for the Blazers. That's so cool. And then and just to see him, you know, kind of go through it all. I mean, he, he really kind of uh, went into a shell during the, the Brandon and Greg era. You know, he, it was a very real feeling of being underappreciated. Yeah. And, uh, and the funny thing is, and I wrote about it in my story, was that Kevin Pritchard was always in my ear saying, Marcus might end up being the best of them all. He told me that multiple, multiple times. And, and in the moment, was like, it was unbelievable. Like in hindsight, it's, it's like kind of like, yeah, maybe. But in the moment, it's like, Brandon yeah. really was one of the, like, maybe really? like, yeah, Brandon Roy, like right away, was like, oh, this is one of the 25 best players in the league. And then like, yeah, and then shortly thereafter, one of the 10 best players in the league. So, yeah, I mean, um, who knew KP's not why still working in the league, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting to see him, you know, 
kind of go into his shell during that era. And then once Brandon had to retire and, and the, the baton kind of got handed to LaMarcus and seeing how he uh, appreciated and handled being the man, uh, he really kind of opened up, I think, a little bit. And then you saw, you know, Dame come and Dame start to evolve and blossom. And then you saw a little bit of the insecurity again right. with LaMarcus. And so it was really a roller coaster with LaMarcus as during his nine years in Portland. Yeah, I'll always remember that stretch in early 2000, early 2011 when LaMarcus dunked everything for two months. He just dunked everything for two months. Kind of it all came together. Um, uh, I will shout out to Andre Miller. I'll always appreciate yeah. that, that little run because it was you were like, OK, this this is you know, this is his sort of his moment of the team is finally his for this brief, strange injury window. And he's, and he's really stepping into it. I'll always, I always appreciate that little run. I'm someone who likes the regular season. Y'all I like the NBA regular (laughs) season. I'll I'll, I'll remember games in February. Okay. It's the kind of dork I am. I'll just remember like that turnaround jumper he had was untouchable. Oh yeah. I, I don't think I ever saw him get blocked during his nine years in Portland with that shot. Uh, You know, it's kind of a, it's his go-to identifiable, identifiable shot. You know, the kind of jab step back to the basket, turn around. It was just beautiful. And, uh, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it kind of encapsulates a little bit what he like what he's like as a person. He was going to go to the left side of the floor. He was and he was mm-hmm. going to get the ball on the block. He was going to dribble and he was going to spin baseline or if you wouldn't let him spin baseline, he was going to spin back to the middle and fade away. Like he was stubborn oh. and he was going to do it, but he was and you and you couldn't stop him. It was kind of yep. um it was yeah, I, I will appreciate LaMarcus for being um stubbornly himself for so dang long. Yeah. Let's talk about um, the uh, let's take a little break and then talk about the, the actual um, current trailblazers. Um, we, we, you, we usually spend too much time sort of nitpicking them. So I'm glad we got to go in the way back machine a little bit. But before we do that, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. That's what they're doing. If you've, if you've tried other protein bars, you know they can be chalky and dry and gross. That's not what Built Bar is. Built Bar is the, a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. All of their amazing flavors are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They're all low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They're good and good for you. So go get yourself some. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. You get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15 at builtbar.com for 15% off your next order. Still chatting here with Jason Quick of The Athletic. Talked about LaMarcus Aldridge. Now let's talk a little bit about the current Blazers team. Um, I, I know this is weird to say with where there are, but was 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 Tuesday's loss encouraging, Jason? Oh, no question. No question. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, one, the, the obvious ones are Nurkic. That's the best he's looked since he's come back absolutely uh mellow was effective which hasn't happened in a long time uh and then we saw kind of a 
Dame get back to being his prolific self. But I think subtly it was the style of play that was encouraging. I think this team had become so predictable on offense and it was allowing teams to shut down their pick and roll and to really clog up things for Dame. And as a result, Dame had become frustrated and worn out. And I don't think people realize the effect that has on the entire team when Dame is not Dame, when Dame is feeling frustrated and uh, worn out and uh, at a loss, it has, uh, it has an effect on everyone. You know, he's kind of this superhero for this team and, and his moods and his, uh, the way he feels is contagious. And so what happened, though, that allowed him to kind of, I think, get back to his old self was they worked on off the ball stuff. If you, if you look at that game, Dame was setting screens. CJ was setting screens. That doesn't happen. It hasn't happened very often this year. And no. it, it, it was a reversion re, reverting back to what I like to say is the glory years of Terry Stott's Blazers basketball, where there was a ton of ball movement, uh, a lot of player movement, cutting. Uh, and I think it, it's no mistake that, or no coincidence that the Blazers had 31 assists. Right. And, uh, and they were less predictable. You know, teams couldn't just say, okay, they're going to come and do a, a pick and roll in the middle of the floor. Let's jam up Dame. Dame was setting screens, moving off the ball, moving off the screens. And it, it really opened things up. And I thought there was better flow to everything. And as a result, uh, things kind of fell into place. So I think it was encouraging. Now we'll see if they're, if they follow through and do that against San Antonio and Charlotte and the Clippers, but uh, you know, it's kind of frustrating with this team. You see Mr. Little get uh, a chance and Terry Stott saying, yeah, this is what we're going to look at now. And then the next game, Nasir is right back. Nailed <laughs> he looked, he looked at it. He's got a full look. He got 21 yeah. minutes of looking. Yeah. So, but anyway, so I, that's why I was encouraged by the Boston game. And then also, you know, a really concerning thing about the Blazers of late has been they crumble in yes. games. Yeah. They, you it, know, they were, they were there with Utah. They were there with the Clippers. And then once the, the opponent makes a move, they just crumble. And that has, not been consistent with the Blazers during Damon, Damian Lillard's era. And it was really puzzling to see that. And I thought against Boston, there was a couple times where I was like, oh boy, here they go again. They're just going to crumble. And Boston got a seven, eight point lead, but they maintain their, their focus and they, they stayed right there. So I thought that was encouraging as well. Yeah, for, for me, that's probably the biggest takeaway. Like, I think some of some of the ball movement stuff is just like more Nurk. Like, the more Nurk can play, the more the other, they just have another passer, another playmaker. They ran a yeah. bunch of stuff through him. Seems like they also tried to get him a little lower on the floor. I'm not going to bog you down with X's and O's, Jason, but for uh, like it's sometimes they stand, they have Nurk start out like with his toes beyond the three point line, and I feel like there was a more emphasis to get his like. Uh, 
heels on the three-point line, like closer to the closer to the foul line, kind of just get him in a room where he can be more threatening and then operate from there. But yeah, I'm with you on that. But I, I think that for me, the biggest one, more than like sort of the the offense looking a little bit cleaner was um that they were in a game. They were in a game that they that they had to fight and be in because that has kind of been the sort of defining characteristic, a thing that we sort of um, celebrate about this group. But recently, when when the going had gotten tough, they had, as Damon Lord put it, gone away early. Um, so it put was, away, put, they've been put away. Put away. I, I yeah. love that. It's like they when we play good teams, we get put away early. Um, yeah. Yeah, like their toys. Uh, it's <laughs> cleaning up the living room. Uh, so yeah, I think um, I think for me, just like being in a game down the stretch. Obviously, they're like uh, you know we think of them as this sort of clutch juggernaut. Other teams can make shots. Jason Tatum made one. It happens. Um, but yeah, I think just just to be in a game in a game mattered. Um, are there? how do like, what is your confidence level in this being consistent? Because I feel like that's the real question for them, right? Like, are you, do you, are you a, are you a believer that this was, that this is a turning point or like, or does tonight in San Antonio have to have to sort of continue it to change your mind? Um, I'm not a believer yet. I think everyone would like to see more, uh, more of a body of work. I think, and I don't think San Antonio or Charlotte will give us answers either. Right. Uh, their next two games, but next week when they play uh, the Clippers and Denver and and two with Memphis, I think we'll get a pretty good idea. Um, totally. And if it's more of the twenty point losses in those games, then you know I, I think the season's uh, about done. Yeah, you'll know. We'll yeah. know what it is. We'll know. We'll absolutely yeah. know what it is by then for yeah. sure. But, you know, I can't state strongly enough how important Nurk is. Yeah, to... I was going to ask you about that next. But first, let's talk about Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. You can go to betonline.ag right now to bet on every NBA game, every NHL game, every MLB game. And if you don't want to bet on sports, they got awards and reality TV shows. All that's covered by real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. But online's got you covered for also real-time news, real-time scores of all those sporting events. It's just the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. So head on over to the website, betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. The promo code is locked on and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked on Blazers. We're still chatting here with the Athletics' Jason Quick. In the last segment, we were talking a little bit about, or started to talk a little bit about Yusuf Nurkic. Jason, he's the key to all of this, right? He really is. He really is. And it it sucks that it's reached that point that it's all hinging on him, but that's where this team is now. I mean, they need his defense. They need his offensive uh, versatility. And it's a lot to put on a guy who missed 10 weeks. Sure. Um, but... And it may not be fair to do that, to put it on him, but that's where the season has gone. Uh, do you, I mean, his, his minutes limit is getting, has been extended to 25. Listen, 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 this, okay. We need to, we need to throw this whole 
phrase out he, minutes not restrictions. Be, Listen, it's not playing. We, he, when Nurk played 79 games for the Blazers, when he played 72 games in a season for the Blazers, he averaged 26 minutes, 27 minutes. Right. So th- there is no minutes restriction. That's what Nurk plays. Even when he's 100% healthy and doesn't have any injuries or anything, he plays 26 to 27 minutes a game. That's Nurk. So, you know, it's a crutch right now for Nurk and for the team to say he's under a minutes restriction. He's not. He's playing what he normally plays and what he should play. So uh, I, I just – I'm irritated that this keeps getting brought up because – it's not like Nurk is a 34-minute-a-game type guy like CJ or something, you know? It's, right. But this is he what be, he does. So I'm with you. And even when he was healthy at the beginning of the year, him and Ennis were splitting the minutes down the middle. Like, even as recently as, as this year, he was playing. Basically, they were splitting him right down the middle. Some of that's because Nurk wasn't very good to start the year. But, do, I mean, like, the future, the Blazers' hope in a lot of ways is that he can play 30 minutes a night, right? Like, not 35, but uh, but but yeah. more, right? Like, another five-minute shift because it it – it avoids the long mellow and canter pairings. It, it, right. it, 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 it kind of fixes their ails. So I think t- more to me, maybe, maybe minutes restriction is the wrong thing. And I think you make a good point. Like he's never been a big minute guy, but can, is there, is there a way, is there hope that Nurk can be a 30 minute guy? Like is, or is this, or a, a, what you're saying is just like, this is kind of what he's physically capable of is like 27 good minutes. And so that's what he's got. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Three minutes, one way or the other. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're getting pretty detailed but, here. But, but but I mean, you you wrote about this. I, I'll I'll push back against this. You wrote about this in three minutes with the mellow canter pairing. Sometimes the Blazers have given up nine zero runs. Yeah, like three minutes at yeah. the end of a quarter can change. Yeah, you know, it's a big deal. I mean, when this team is kind of like pretty rough on the margins, those sort of yeah. three extra minutes to steal or to start a quarter matter in in my mind. Sure. I, I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> Nurk is important. I, I think we need to, I think we need to get away from, uh, I think Terry needs to find a way to break up the, the mellow Ennis thing. And it doesn't have to be incumbent upon Nurk to do that. Right. And, and I think Terry has started exploring more options uh, to break up that pairing. I, I think he's gotten a little bit more creative in doing that. But also, you know, a big thing with the with Nurk now is he's been in foul trouble. And yep. I, I think that has hurt a lot of his progress uh, as he's come back from this injury is a lot of times he's he's had to go to the bench, not because of. Uh, them wanting to preserve him or rest him, but because he's in foul trouble. So uh, that's going to be important for him to uh, moving forward. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's some of his, we want to say like the coach has to figure it out, but if like, if Nurk picks up two fouls in the first four minutes of the game, it's like, right. You kind of, you can only play with the guys you have or whatever. Yeah. I'm with you. I think, I think some of it in the Boston game specifically, um, and maybe we're getting into the weeds a little bit is like, uh, Mello had it going, so he just got more minutes in as a in, yeah. and so we saw more Mello canter in the second half, and it wasn't great, but it's like Mello was arguably their their best offensive player for for a, like brief stretches of that game. So um, 
he just, he was going to get more time. And if he was going to play more, he was going to play more next to the backup center. Like it's, some of it is just how the roster works. Um, and it's harder to make those decisions when, when one of those guys is playing really well, it's easier to kind of, if it's like, eh, we're not doing great. It's easier to say, let's go this direction. Um, but yeah, I, I think, but I do think in the first quarter, first half shift, uh, they, they did go away from Mello and Cantor a little bit and they kind of got, they avoided that pairing a little bit more. They only played three to four minutes together in the first quarter. Yeah. You know, but as Terry's, uh, Terry's stubborn point in all this is that he want he needs Mello and Cantor to be a net positive. And I think if you look at the numbers, I think for the season they're I think they are a net positive when they're on the floor together. Um, you know, their defensive rating is, is terrible, but uh, you get nights like whatever night that was against Boston where, where Mello has it going, you know, they were, they were decent. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I still think that the answer is you have to break those guys up um, and, and particularly in playoff time where teams will, will zero in on, on mismatches like that. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It gets really specific down into down yep. the stretch on the year, Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor, 608 minutes together, minus 1.64 net rating, a slight negative. I'm not talking net rating. I'm, I'm talking uh, points. Oh, like just raw plus minus. Yes. Yes. All right. I got, now I've got to click on another tab to, to yeah, get let's this see what it is. All I, right. I think they're plus. All right. Let's, you know what, dear listeners, you might get some of this dead air cut out, so don't get too excited. Come <laughs> uh, on, Mike, on I, thought year, you were, I thought you were a nerd and had this at the at your fingertips. Well, I didn't think you were going to pull out the numbers, Jason. <laughs> Come on, man. I, uh, when I have other guests on the podcast, I got all my tabs open. But for you, I thought we were going to talk about feelings and humans. Come <laughs> right. on. Um, 608 minutes together, Carmelo and Ennis Cantor, minus 12. Minus 12. Okay. So it's close. Yeah, it's close. It's one good, you know, two good games and they're there. Um, I I think in general, it's bad. It's maybe overstated how obviously bad it is, but it's because it's worse against good teams. Good teams can exploit it. Um, And that's, I think that's what you're saying with the... that's what you're saying with the the playoff stuff is like yeah. when they're going to play good teams, this particular pairing looks dicey. Um, so you like figure it out now. Don't have, don't figure it out in game three or whatever of the playoffs. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think, know. What, what's your feeling on the Blazers right now? I, I just don't have a great feeling about it, which is really weird because for so many years heading into the playoffs, you feel decent about this team. And they're playing their worst basketball, I think, right now. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Is like the the sort of the indicators don't suggest that they're particularly good. Like their struggles against good teams, um, the fact that they're just a really bad defense. I think a little bit too much is made of them being the third worst defense of all time. It's like offenses, yeah, that's, offenses understand that, yeah. what what efficiency is in a way that they didn't for years and years and years and years. Um, yeah. So no shit that there's going to be the 
you know, the best offenses ever and the worst defenses ever during this era. That's just right. It'll normalize over the next five years, but that's where we're at now. But it's a but, sign of the times more than anything else. Exactly. Exactly. But that said, they're bad on defense. Yes. <laughs> like we don't, I don't, I just don't think we need to put it in historical context to like state how bad they are. They're just normal, bad. They're normal. They're a normal, very bad defensive team um, yeah. in relation to this season. Uh, they haven't beat a lot of good teams. So I, it's like, to me, it's just like, well, you know, I, I, there's not a lot of things I can point to, to make me think that they're okay, but the, the health stuff with the groups in front of them, like, I think the Blazers match up okay with the Suns, So that's an okay matchup. Um, yep. I think if they can avoid the LA teams, they're in good shape unless yep. the Lakers are not healthy. Um, yep. And that's just like hard to figure out. And I think they match up. I, I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't pick them against the jazz. Um, I just think the jazz can get too many easy shots against this, against this team and, and defend them too well. So I think that's a bad matchup, but Phoenix and Denver are okay. Uh, the Lakers are, are, are a big question mark. Um, they do not want the Clippers. No, the Clippers is a, ter- the Clippers are a terrible matchup, even though it'd be fun because of Rondo and Pat Bev and Paul George and all those sort of theater, but they might also send the Blazers home, put them away early, as you say, but. You know, if Denver, I, I thought Denver was an okay matchup for the Blazers, even with Jamal Murray healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that he's 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 out, and it's a real bummer because he was a joy to watch in the in the playoffs last season. Um, I think that's an even better matchup for him. Like as good as Jokic is, and as 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 good as uh, Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon are, like th- they don't have the personnel to guard little guards. And I think yeah. that's. Um, I think that could be a strength. I don't know that I, I don't think there's any team ahead of the Blazers that I would pick, say they're favored against, but I do think there's a couple teams, Phoenix and Denver specifically, where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not terrible. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a great sense of how Nurk does against Jokic. Cause I feel like, you know, obviously in the playoff series, he was hurt. Uh, and we, I just don't feel like we've had a ton of head to head matchups. The first uh, Nurkier, the the Happy Summer game, he had a really nice game against him. <laughs> but I mean, that's one game. It's not like a big. Yeah. Uh, and that was sort of but, the beginning of the, the Nurk era. Yeah, it's kind of a wild card. You know? Totally. I don't. I don't. I don't have a great sense of how Nurk fares against Jokic from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I part of me thinks no one can guard him. So like, yeah, well, like, be effective. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think I think Nurk can be decent just because of the size um, and that and that Jokic like in the way that Dwight Howard was last year in the playoffs, like he didn't guard him really well, but he was big enough and leaned on him enough and was annoying enough that it would kind of slow him down and let let things let the Lakers get there. I think I I think it's maybe that's mean to Nurk, but I I think he can be that kind of Dwight Howard type. Well, and here's the thing is that I think if they do get paired against Denver, you got to take advantage of Nurkic on the offensive in and try to get Jokic into foul trouble and right. make him guard, you know? Right. I think that would be an interesting facet to that series. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, like I said, I, I'm not like super high on their chances, but I don't, I'm not all doom and gloom. If you just sort of like look at p- potential playoff matchups, the problem is that like if Phoenix finishes second, then seven is a better seed than six probably. And yeah. the play-in tournament makes seven a little bit dicey because you you probably yeah. don't want to fall. You you know you just want to stay in six. You don't want to fall into seven and then have to play a, a single elimination games or whatever. Yeah, both Dame and CJ have been adamant about wanting to stay out of that play-in game just because of the energy you have to expend just to get into the the real tournament. You yeah, know? totally. They totally. they found that out in the 
in the bubble last year. They felt like just, you know, that Memphis play in games, uh, it really hurt them. Totally. They spent, um, they spent, uh, you know, two straight weeks in full playoff mode, even not physical yes. physically, but like the mental Mentally. fatigue yep. is really weighs on you. I mean, the NBA playoffs are a grind. So avoiding that sort of mental fatigue before you get there, it's a bunch. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I think it's like you want, they want to finish fourth, four, five, four, five, six, but then they also want to get a good matchup. So it's going to be really fascinating down the stretch about like sort of what other teams are kind of punting games to, to pick, pick the matchup. Right. I, bet, I bet the Lakers want the Blazers. Like, uh, I bet. I, mean, the, I, yeah, I, bet yeah, I think every team wants the Blazers. Yeah. I would assume, I would assume they're the preferred matchup um, even over Dallas, I would guess just because of uh, sort of what the Blazers have been recently. And see the, the real, kind of um, underlying thing that's that's happening right now is Dane needs rest. Yep. And he said he he wouldn't rest until they secured the sixth seed or better. And that doesn't look like that's going to happen ahead of time. And so that's going to be a major byproduct of this period right now that they're struggling. It's going to take away the window for Dane to rest, take games off and be fresh for the playoffs. Totally. And it's not uh, just playing less minutes. Like that's not how rest works. He, it's not like yeah. playing 28 minutes will help him. He needs full yep. days of no, yep. of no physicality. Yep. And yep. Uh, you can't buy that. Yep. And, you know, we see it every game. His body's taking a beating. Yeah. Bang, banging knees, getting elbowed in the groin, uh, hard falls, uh, his finger, getting caught in things it's just he's just uh he needs he needs time uh he needs time away from the game and we all know that he's such a competitor and such a battler that he will not he will not volunteer to uh do load management and take time off so uh so that's why they have to pick things up is if they're going to have hopes of winning in the playoffs they need him rested heading into the playoffs and to do that they need to win games now yeah i mean that's why the san antonio charlotte games are important just be if you can just you just gotta you gotta go ahead and win these games against mediocre to bad teams i mean i know i know hornets are a playoff team in the east but they're they're banged up and they're not nearly as good as they've been and and san antonio is just either a 500 team you got it you have to take care of business because yep. that can afford you some time on the back end to uh, to steal some rest for for the franchise. Yep. Really curious to see how they uh, not not necessarily the results. I mean, obviously they, they need to win these. It's, next yeah, it's a results oriented business, but I know what you mean. But but I want to see how they play. Yeah. Do they have that life? Do they have the ball movement? Are they engaged? Do they show some fight? All those things we need to keep seeing it, and then also see more progress from Nurk. You know, yep. getting him closer to the Nurk that we uh, had become accustomed to. The Nurk that, for some reason, we all believe exists somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, it no, wasn't he, that long ago in the bubble. I mean, he was really good in the bubble. No, he kicked ass. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of just poking fun at sort of like the yeah. the Nurk savior narrative. Like, don't worry, yeah. don't worry. When Nurk's back, when when Zach's back, Zach's close. We'll get Zach back. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I'm just making fun of that kind of Blazer fan narrative um, more right. than anything. Like Nurk is Nurk's key, and if and and if he can play those glorious 29 full minutes, then uh, the Blazers will have a chance. Yeah. 
Dear listeners, uh, if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, you're doing it wrong. Like I said, uh, Jason, like he said at the top of the show, he's got a story coming out on Norman Powell that you're going to want to read. So make sure you get a subscription. Uh, you're just, you'll be closer to the team and better for it if you read Jason's work. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate you giving us the time. Well, thanks for having me on, Michael. I always enjoy it. Hey, mark your calendar one month from today. Both of us will be fully inoculated. We'll do a live podcast in person. Yes, with beers. You'll you hear uh, clink, clink, slur- clink. Yeah, slurry, Jason Quick. Yeah, well, maybe we won't record. <laughs> we won't release all the files. You know, we'll we'll have a one beer podcast and a three beer podcast, and the three beer podcast will never come see the light of day. Oh, come on. All right, fine. We'll we'll get you out there. Slur, Jason Quick. Mm-hmm. Giggly, Mike, giggly Mike, Mike uh, Richmond. Yeah, no, I will be giggly. That's what I'm really protecting. And now you're you're outing me is how my my voice gets all high. I'm going to be giggling and red faced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it at McPete's, huh? Yeah, let's do it at McPete's. Shout out to uh, shout out to the listener who who uh, has a McPete's connection. I forget your name off the top of my head, but um, yeah. we're this is a McPete's friendly podcast. If you want, yes. if you want to sponsor this, you want to sponsor this space, be happy to have you. All right, dear listeners, tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. will be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.